Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your grace, and we thank you that it is an undeserved gift, something that uh, we really don't deserve. Uh, we don't have to earn it because it's already been earned. It's, it's been earned because you sent your one and only Son to die on the cross, uh, to die the death that we should have died. And uh, you did that because you loved us and you called us your own. Um, we are your children and we are grateful to call you Daddy, our Father. And Jesus, we thank you for living the perfect life that we should have lived. We thank you for, um, once again, dying for us, um, for, the, for our sins and offering the gift of salvation. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you today that you'll be with us, that you will teach us uh, what we need to hear and how we need to properly care and listen to our uh, care receivers and even to those people that we come into contact with. I think of our family members, I think of our friends, I think of our neighbors, our fellow employees, whoever it may be. I pray that uh, what we learn here today in this room, uh, that we will actually use uh, in our everyday conversations and everyday lives with those that we come into contact with. We thank you for this wonderful ministry called Stephen Ministry. We thank you for Stephen uh, as he set the example uh, to us in Acts chapter 6 and how he loved um, your people well. And we thank you for his faithful service. And thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here today. We pray for Ida, that you'll watch over her today, help her to feel better. And uh, I know she has a sore throat, so just uh, uh, give her some rest today and help her to to be um, strengthened today so that she can go back to work tomorrow. Lord, just be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, let's uh, look at lesson two. Ida had shared with me that we stopped right at the mud hole. Mm-hmm. And so let me find this. It'll be page 32 in your books. And this is an important diagram because it really defines what you're going to be doing. And there's three things that we need to focus on here with the mud hole. The first, if you see the guy standing up on top of the mud hole, uh, he's looking down. And that guy would be considered um, sympathy or sympathetic. And what would you, without looking at the definition, what would you define sympathy as? Being concerned. concerned. Anything else? Yeah, that you care for the welfare of the other person. Yeah, that's good. Well, look at page 33 on Focus Note 9. The definition of sympathy says that sympathy is a feeling, concern for someone else without becoming involved in his or her life. So it's concern for their welfare, as Flory said, but you're not super involved. You're not overly involved with their life. Well, let's look at the, the mud hole now. And if you look at the third person in the mud hole, that is the care receiver. Okay, So let's look at the, the guy in the middle between the guy up, up on top and the guy inside the mud hole. Uh, the guy in the middle uh, would be someone who is over-identifying with the care receiver. And when I say over-identifying, what, what comes to your mind when we say over-identifying with someone? It's, it's, and he's in the hole with the other person. Okay. You want to unpack that a little bit or anybody? What would that look like if you're caring for somebody? What would that look like? To, you're too involved? Okay. Being, being actually overwhelmed by their issues. Or their, their, 
their sentiment, identifying so much that it kind of cripples you. Uh huh. Identifying so much that it cripples you. That's and good. I feel like, like identifying to the point that like you're feeling the same thing that the care receiver is feeling mm-hmm. about. Because like, mm-hmm. you're like identifying so much that you're doing mm-hmm. the same thing. Yeah, it would almost be like an example. Let's say someone had lost their parents. And then as you're caring for them, you've lost your parents. And so it ends up affecting you greatly, more so where it, it hurts you and you become the care receiver too. Um, it's good to be able to relate to the care receiver, but when it ends up overcoming you or taking over, uh, that could be an issue. Okay, good. Well, let's look at the empathy, the empathetic person. He's hanging on a root, and he also is extending an arm to the care receiver. Uh, when you think of empathy, what comes to mind? You're still feeling, but you haven't lost your objectivity. Mm-hmm. You're still feeling, but you haven't lost your objectivity. That's good, Brent. Yeah, look at Focus Note 11, page 33. Empathy is feeling another person's problems as if they were your own without actually taking them on yourself. That's a good definition of empathy. But I love this diagram because we are looking for you to be empathetic. We're not looking for you to necessarily be sympathetic or to over-identify, but for you to be empathetic. We, we want you to feel another person's problems as if they were your own without actually taking them on yourself. And that's a difficult thing to do, um, but that's the goal in Stephen ministry. Now, if you look at page 34, uh, this is called the safe house. It's just a focus note 14, letter B. It's just a diagram that we often use. And on page 35, it describes what the safe house is, where you have, um, you have unconditional positive regard, which is basically the foundation, number one, is grace-based acceptance, when we just heard Mike preach on grace. And uh, Focus Note 15 says that the condition for growth and change, the therapist experiences unconditional positive regard for the client. So this is the idea of, of grace-based acceptance. That's your foundation, the bottom part of the house. In fact, I'll I'll tell you all of the descriptions if you want to write it in the house. The bottom part is a grace-based acceptance. The left wall is considered listening. So the left side of the house is listening. And we'll talk about that today in Lesson 3. The right side is empathy, (coughs) which we just described. So the right side of the house is empathy. The roof is considered confidentiality. And of course, we'll talk a lot about that in the weeks to come and how important it is to not identify who your care receiver is, even in supervision group meetings and even with even with your spouse. It's confidential. And then fifth is trust, and that is the door. So inside the door is trust. And the goal is to build trust with your care receiver. Are there any questions thus far? Any comments? from last week's lesson or even the lesson before. We've been crystal clear now. Good. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on now to lesson three, page 51, The Art of Listening. <laughs> huh? <laughs> what did you say? What I'd like to do before we get into the actual lesson is talk about the pre-class reading. That uh, you know you, you should have done. If you didn't, that's okay. But but try to try to read it sometime because they are very important readings. I know you've got a lot of readings with the books and the pre-class reading. But I wanted to highlight a few points in this in this reading. Page forty-one, reference box B. 
there's things that you shouldn't say and things that you should say. And let me just read it out. It's page 41. It says, The care receiver says, I've been doing a lot of thinking and I don't think I'll have the operation at all. What you shouldn't say is, your physician says that you must have the operation. You know you really don't have any choice. You won't get any any better without it. Why shouldn't you say that? (laughs) I think you're like, even your tongue can come across as casting judgment Mm -hmm. upon their decisions rather than really trying to understand what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't know why they're changing their mind. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't know why they're changing the mind? Okay. Yeah, so instead it says to do say you once seemed very confident about having the surgery and now you say you don't want to go through with it. Tell me a little more about what you've been thinking. You, you don't want to solve the problem for them. You want to help them solve their own problem, if that makes sense. And we're going to talk more about that, I think, in two weeks from now. Well, look at page 44. Another thing about listening is you want to ask about recurring themes. Look at box H. Here's an example. It says, you've, you've said several times that you're having a tough time making decisions. What do you think may be contributing to this? So as you are paired up with your care receiver and you meet with them on a weekly basis, you're going to begin noticing recurring themes. And so as you do that, what I would encourage you to do, even after every less or every time you meet with them, is write down some of those themes that pop up. Write down some of the main things that people say. And then before you meet with them again the following week, review those themes. Review those things so that you could bring it up again if it's brought up in the conversation. And then you could, you could say, hey, you've said several, several times that you've, you're having a tough time making decisions. What do you think may be contributing to this? So it's important to look at the recurring things that they say. So that's, that's part of active listening. Uh, page 44, box J, I wanted to point out. Asking about what hasn't been said. Here's an example. They say that you've talked a lot about John and Mary, but I haven't heard you say much about Sam. So there's some times where you need to pay attention and listen to what hasn't been said. You know, as you begin to really learn about the care receiver situation and you begin to hear about all the people that are involved, then it's important for you to, to pay close attention to what they aren't saying. If, if you know that they have other family members that are important, but they haven't even mentioned them, you may want to bring them up and say, what about your husband? You know, you always talk about your children, but tell me more about your husband. What's going on? Uh, or tell me more about your spouse. I think that would be something that's important to, to pay attention to what hasn't been said. And then finally, page 45, box K, this is an important thing, um, to really be able to determine between closed and open-ended questions. And when I say closed and open-ended, what do I mean by closed questions? What would be an example? You can look here, but what would be an example of a closed question? Yes or no, just yeah. one, one quick answer. Yeah, you're looking for a one quick, one-word answer, even one sentence. Um, that's a closed question. We obviously don't want to do that as Stephen Ministers. We want to be able to have them open up to us. Uh, so what would be an example of an open-ended question, would you say? Uh, so you seem happy that that happened, right? I'm sorry? You, so you seem happy that that happened. Yeah. Happened, you say, uh, mm-hmm. So you say you can't go on another day with, in this condition. Tell me mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, tell me about it. That's good. If you say that even the word tell me about it, then they have to describe it. What, what I, in other words, instead of looking for a one-word or one-sentence answer, you want to try to get them to say paragraphs mm-hmm. or even an essay at times. But then again, I mean, if they go on and on and on, you may have to eventually say, well, let's talk about something else. But, uh, but it's important for them to talk 
because the goal of Stephen ministry is to listen. That's one of the key components here. And so the way to do that is to ask open-ended questions. So let's look at uh, reference box K, page 45, and just give you some examples. A closed question is, is like more, uh, Malcolm said, a yes or no answer, where you ask the question, did that make you angry? Obviously, they're going to say yes or no. Uh, how many children do you have? They're going to tell you the fact. Uh, are you going to quit work? Um, that's an example where they could say yes or no. And instead, we're looking at asking open-ended questions. For example, how were you feeling when that happened? Or what did you think of the Sunday school class? Or what can you tell me about your children? See how descriptive it is. They want more than just a yes or no or a sentence answer. What do you plan to do about your job? Wow, how did that make you feel? So these are examples of what to ask and how to ask it, not to just look for one-word answers. Um, any, any comments from the reading or any questions? Anything that stood out to you? Not to be judgmental. Okay, not to be judgmental, yeah. And uh, just reading between the lines, they teach that a lot in, in cells. It's more about what's not been said than what actually has. Mm-hmm. And you make it somebody that wants to talk about the same subject every time because mm-hmm. they're deflecting. Right. This is safe, this is easy, I don't want to deal with what I really need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think one thing that really stood out too was just the fact that it seems like common sense, but that um, you really have to prepare yourself for listening and like planning ahead to make sure that you're in the best environment to listen, that your mind is in the right place to listen. And, mm-hmm. um, there's like a lot of things that can distract you from truly listening to your care receiver. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. To be to be patient. It's like talking to your uh, kid when they have a problem. Uh, you have to ask so many questions before you get to the core mm-hmm. of the thing. So uh, you have to be. Don't lose your patience. Right. Don't lose your patience. That's, that's important. Yeah. Because you're wanting them to get to the answer or to get to the solution. But sometimes it takes time for them to get there. Yeah. Absolutely. I would, I would say don't push. Yeah. Don't be persistent. Yeah. Because you can really turn somebody off fast mm-hmm. if you push too hard. All right. That's right. That's good. That's all good. Well, let's just for a minute, let's take a look at page 51 with me. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is James 119, and it's very practical. And James basically says, My dear brothers, take special note of this. You may or be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And first off, I love how he says, take special note of this. So he wants you to keep it in your mind <laughs> and in your heart to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And it's very difficult to do that, isn't it? Because when you're listening to somebody, you want to immediately jump in, don't you? And tell them, this is what you need to do. This is how you're going to solve your problem. And this is I know exactly what to do to help you. But in Stephen Ministry, we're, we're teaching you not to do that. We're teaching you to just listen. And as Flory said, that takes a lot of patience because you may know the answer. But the goal is for them... The goal is for them to discover the answer themselves. You can help them, but you don't need to basically tell them what to do and how to do it. And you may give them the wrong answer. You give them the wrong answer. <laughs> because you think you know what the question <laughs> right. was, and then right. when you ask questions, you go, oh. Oh, right, right. 
Well, what's interesting is uh, if you look at Roman numeral one, our listening God, I've been teaching a lesson with the Joy Group where we've been going through the book of Habakkuk. And you see in that book in particular of how God truly listens to his people. You know, there's three concerns that Habakkuk brings to God. And and, uh, he often, or actually two main ones, he basically asks God, why, how long will you allow your people to continue to live in sin? You know, why are you allowing this to happen? And then he asks the question, because God answers him by saying, well, I'm not going to continue to allow this to happen because I'm going to send an outside army, the Babylonians, to come in and take control over you because of your sin. So you're going to be punished and disciplined for what you've done. So then Habakkuk asks the second question. He says, well, why would you allow an outside army who is non-Christian, who is a non-believing army, to come in and defeat your people? And so he is struggling with why God is doing what he's doing. But God, in that book, it's interesting because it's almost like he takes some time to answer Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk is saying, I don't know the answer. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. And then Habakkuk basically says, so I'll just sit here and wait patiently for you to respond. And Habakkuk was truly patient, we saw in that book. But God gives an answer. And the thing about God is he always listens to us. He's always listening. And he may not give you the answer you want to hear, but he gives you an answer some way. And sometimes he may say no. Uh, He may give you a delayed answer. It may take a while for you to actually see why you're going through what you're going through. And so it's important to know that about God as you're ministering to people. You've got to know that, okay, God may not immediately solve your problem. Uh, It may be a delayed response. It may even be a no. But the key here is that God may not deliver you from something, but He's going to help you through it. And if you can beat that in your head throughout this whole training... Uh, as you meet with people, you can tell them that. Reassure them that God's going to help you through whatever you're going through, but He may not deliver you from it. And so the key here is that our people, especially that we in particular and the people we're ministering to, understand that we do have a God who listens, who truly cares for us, who will hear our every need. And sometimes we don't want to pray to Him, but, but we need to because He hears us. And it even says, Jesus even says, if you don't ask, He won't give. And so it is important to to talk to God because He's always there to listen. Um, Anyway, I just wanted to give you a brief sermon on that. But let's look at Roman numeral 2. And it says here, May I have your attention, please? And what I'd like to do is just for a a moment, we'll split uh, in pairs, two men with two men, and then the three women will join up together. And what I'd like to do, so let's go ahead and do that for a second. Let's go ahead and split. As you're getting ready... What I'd like to do is have one person tell the other person about what your hobbies are. So, the, so just go ahead and choose right now who the one person will speak. And with the three of you, just have one speak. And then you can have one observe. One observe. Okay, so before you speak, now while, while that person is talking, I want the listener to basically not pay attention. I want you to look away. I want you to yawn. I want you to drum your fingers. Ignore the other person as they're speaking. Just do that for about a minute. So the person who's speaking, just talk about what your hobbies are, what you enjoy doing. And the listener, don't pay attention to them. Okay? So go ahead and do that for a minute. <laughs> okay, let's stop for a minute. All right. Well, let's just for a second talk about talk about what you experienced. The, the, the person who is speaking, what did you experience? Page 51, focus note number one, it talks about this solar diagram, and I love these acronyms, but the solar diagram, and what I'd like to do is just talk briefly about all the letters here. First off, you have to sit slightly forward. 
which uh, indicates your interest. So you don't want to be slouching down. You don't want to have your you know oh, your legs no, crossed. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's good to sit up, you know, <laughs> to sli- sit slightly forward. I mean, sometimes when you're at home and you're with your family, I mean, it's okay to lounge. You don't want to sit straight up like this the whole time. But but yeah. <laughs> But I think yeah, just sitting, sit. I mean, obviously not yeah. too straight, but just normal. You know, don't don't slouch around. I mean, pay attention. Sit slightly forward. Um, the O is to maintain an open, relaxed posture. And of course, this is where your arms and your legs aren't crossed. So if you're just like going, you know, like this kind of thing, that's funny. You were doing that a second. <laughs> you're just cold. <laughs> and that's okay if you're cold. But yeah. But if you're just. Yeah. I go like that. I do that a lot. But you're looking. What do, you, what do y'all think of that? What do you? Let me think of this. That shows. I would be careful with that on the first couple of visits. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because they tell you, because I'm a teacher, and they tell us all the time in teaching to like stay open because mm-hmm. of like how students interpret it, and it's so hard. Yeah. Because I, I like naturally stand like this. It's not because I'm mad. It's just like a natural. Stance, but they tell you to open like, up. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. To You're in control. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. They yeah. do. Kids don't misbehave in your class. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, so maintain an open, relaxed posture. The L is to look into the other person's eyes. And uh, just let's talk about that for a second. It's important to pay attention to them by looking. Because if you're if you're going like this and you're talking, let's say I'm looking at John, I'm looking at the wall. He's no, he's gonna realize I'm not there. And I actually know people that do that sometimes. So I'm trying to be like, focus, look at me. But um, but but if you really look intently, then that could be uh, intimidating, couldn't it? I mean, if you're if you're really intense, like what I was doing a second ago, if you're going like this and checking in, I mean, that can really intimidate somebody, and they could almost lose trust in you, obviously. Um, so what would it look like? I mean, what, let's unpack that a little bit more. What do y'all think about this idea of looking into another person's eyes? Well, I don't know if you want to just you can look at them and as they're, as they're talking. And many times what I'll do is I will digest what they're saying. I'll right. them. Yeah. You digest what they're saying and you, you of course, remove your glance from them. Right. But just continue to come back, always coming back to that glance. Sure, sure. And not just at them. Right, right. Don't just stare for five so minutes. Stare. Yeah, you can look away for a minute, but yeah. but to let them know that you're there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I've noticed too. Like sometimes when you like start talking to people, like if they're really telling you something, I try to like keep some eye contact, but they often will look away or other places. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you're at least looking kind of like at them, they know. I think they know that even if like whatever they're trying to do with their eye contact, whether it's they're uncomfortable about whatever they're talking about or something right. like that. At least, like they know that you're still there, even mm-hmm. though they're uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like Malcolm said, not like doing it, like, and at right. But I think just like keeping the fact that you're facing them, you're there. Yeah, that's good. Good. Well, look at a pay such strict attention to what the other person is saying that you're able to reflect what the other person says. And to pay attention, you don't think about other things or what the other, what you're going to be saying next. That's what I often say to people. When you're listening, it's so easy to think, okay, what am I going to say next? And you don't hear what the, what the entire thing of what the person's saying. Instead, you really need to listen to everything they're saying because it's so easy to take bits and pieces of what people are saying and just formulate your own opinion. But it's important to listen to what they're saying and, and, and into the whole 
Because it's easy if somebody says, I'm really mad at you because you did this to me. It's easy just to hear, I'm really mad at you. And then you can get defensive and say, oh, they're mad at me. And then you start formulating your own opinions about them and about what they're saying and why they're mad. You're assuming why they're mad. But they may have already told you why they're mad. They may say, because you did this to me. And you didn't hear the because you did this to me because you're already thinking about how they're mad at you. And you're taking that so personal. And so be, be cautious of listening to everything of what they're saying, the entire emotion that they're giving out to you. And, and as, I, as I say, to pay attention to what they're saying, you also need to reflect what the other person says. You may need to ponder for, for a minute. You know, it's okay to be silent for five seconds. I mean, I call it, uh, we call it the pregnant pause um, because it's just a, it could be a long pause and it almost seems awkward. Um, but it's okay in a church context especially, and I notice in small groups, when I'm leading discussion and I ask a question, and people are waiting, and, and I'm waiting, it seems like, for eternity, but it may only be five seconds. But I'm waiting for people to respond, but it's so easy to just jump in and say, well, let's move on to the next point, but you almost need to give people time to process, to reflect, and then to give their answer. Uh, I often share that my father, I mean, he's in radio, and so, and, and John works for a radio station. He can relate to this. But uh, it's interesting because when he's on the air, the worst thing that can happen for a radio DJ is dead air time. What I mean by that is if there's no music playing, if there's nobody speaking, if there's nothing going on in radio, because once that happens, people immediately dial to the next station. They don't sit around and wait you know, for the next song or for the DJ to speak. And so my father gets in this habit, because he's been in radio for 40 years, <laughs> that if, if he asks a question and you don't respond in two seconds, he goes on to the next thing. And it's, and it's just habit because it's how radio teaches you. And often in our society, we like the instant communication, the instant gratification. And so it's easy to just move on to the next thing if, if the person isn't responding. But it's important to let them reflect on what they're saying and on what you have said. And that may take five, ten seconds, and that's okay. And I think that's something we've got, we've all got to learn to do. I, I, I'm still learning to do it more as I so lead life groups. We tell ourselves that dead air time is okay. That dead air time is okay. <laughs> exactly. And that's, I think, part of paying attention and also reflecting. Because when you pay attention to somebody and when you're listening, you're also watching their body language. Because they may be twiddling their fingers or their thumbs or, you know, shaking. I don't know what they'd be doing, but... But they could be doing a number of things. And I know you all talked about that last week with body language. Um, but anyway, so this is the solar diagram. So what I want you to do now with your partner is the other person will speak and talk about their hobbies. And I want the listener to practice the solar diagram. And let me briefly, to sit slightly forward, to have a relaxed posture, to look into the other person's eyes where it's not uncomfortable, but at least where you're paying attention, uh, to pay attention to the person and what they're saying and to reflect upon what they're saying. So spend about a minute or two doing that. And I'd like to ask you a few questions about what you just did and the group exercise we, we just had. Number one, the question number one is, how did you feel as listener or speaker when the listener was not paying attention? So let's talk as a group. What about you over here, uh, Flory and Ashley? And Flo- well, they, they, they were paying attention. They were supposed to pay attention, right? This time. Okay. They were paying attention. No, 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 the second time. This, this last time. How did, how did you feel? Yeah. How did they do? They were good. They, they were good. They, they, uh, uh, they showed me that they were really interested in what I was saying. Mm-hmm. 
and they smiled with me and they uh, nodded their heads in uh, agreement. Okay. And so I, I felt really encouraged okay. to talk. Good. <laughs> great. Good job, Ashley. You get an A. <laughs> Alan, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, Jonathan was smiling and nodding and um, at some points chuckling at things I said so yeah. I could tell he was engaged with what I was talking about. Good. It was hard to feel yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, probably gave you too much time. Right, right, right. What about you guys? Uh, he started asking questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To keep me talking. Yeah, well, I, I gave you plenty of time. So, <laughs> good job, Malcolm. Well, great. Well, what about those that uh, were listening? What did you learn from this exercise? For those of you who are listening, you have to pay attention, mm-hmm. like to like what you're doing and like how your body language is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also felt like I really maybe understood more of like Flory's hobbies and why she likes those hobbies rather than just like what her hobbies are by intently like listening to her and um, I don't know I just feel like I learned more about her <laughs> good good I could relate to that because I love to travel too yeah um, this one thing you mentioned like travel is a hobby mm-hmm Great. That's good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's look at uh, the middle of page 52, Roman numeral 3, listening facts quiz. And what I'd like to do, instead of having you just take the time to look at the quiz, let's just go through each point here and briefly talk about it. And uh, I'd like to hear your answer. So go ahead and shout out what the answer is after we read it. So number one is, if you're having a hard time hearing your care receiver due to noise around you, you should listen harder. Because... Because it would be rude to interrupt the care receiver and suggest a quieter setting. Is that true or false? Okay. I would say middle of the road. Middle of the road. There's no middle of the road here. <laughs> it's true or false? Well, you've got it. No, it's, uh, you've got to uh, view the moment and, and how serious the person is. Yeah. yeah. On the reading, it said that like one example of when this would be true is like if someone's going into like surgery in an hour, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be appropriate to suggest a different setting. Like you should just like continue and try as hard as you can to listen. But I think the majority of the time it would be false. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of the time would be false. I mean, you're right, Brent and Ashley. But uh, what I would encourage you to do is ask them to move to a quieter place. A quieter setting. And we, we talk a little bit about when you make your first caring visit, where to meet and, and when to do it. Uh, we often say it's important to go to uh, an open place, um, but it's not as loud. I often meet people at Panera. Uh, I try not to sit into a, a loud, where I know it's going to be loud, an area. That tends to be a good place. Uh, as I get to know the person and, and they offer me to come to their house, you know, there's rules about that where we would encourage you to have. Obviously, you're going to be with someone of the same sex, so you'll 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 be fine. But uh, we we do encourage you to go to their house. We don't necessarily encourage you to invite them to your house because that's a boundary that could be broken. You know, once they know where you live, they could often come knocking at your door at, at 11 o'clock at night, and you may not be ready or willing to do that, uh, or you may be willing, but you may not be ready for that. And so that's something we'll talk about later on too. But but just encouraging them to to meet at a quieter place. Let's look at number two. It says, long silences are destructive to caring listening and tend to erode the care receiver's trust in the Stephen minister. Oh. That's false. Why is that false? 
we kind of just talked about it, but it gives people time to think and reflect. Yeah. They said we're not talking about a week of silence. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> just a little dead air. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Number three is sometimes you will learn more about your care receiver's thoughts and feelings by his or her tone of voice or body language than you will from his or her actual words. True, yeah. What would be some examples of uh, body language or tone of voice that you could think of? Well, one of them is arms crossed. Yeah. Yeah, but if the care receivers, what would be examples, things that you should look for in the care receiver as you're caring for them? Think of like when they, if someone like laughs at an inappropriate time, yes. it okay. kind of indicates a different feeling than what they're saying. That's good. So like. I might really show that they're really anxious or mm-hmm. fearful or whatever or something. Mm-hmm. They came over yesterday. <laughs> yeah, right. To laugh at yeah awkward times, awkward mm-hmm. moments. That's good. Or you were doing like this in your meals. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. That's <laughs> right. One thing that I met with Johnny one time. We were good friends. He was on staff, a counselor on staff, and. And I, I have a habit of chewing my fingernails. It's terrible. Uh, but it's just a habit. And he says, you're anxious. And, and I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting that he picked up on that. But he said, while I was talking with him, I was fiddling with my nails. And um, we noticed, it was funny because my dad was interviewed a couple weeks, or it was a couple months ago on TV. He's a politician, and he was interviewed. And he asked, he asked us how he did. And my mom, the first thing she said was, well, you were twiddling your fingers, or you were picking at your fingernails. <laughs> And she said that was a sign of you being a little nervous, you know. And then she said he was very firm and in charge, and he gave great answers. But she said you were very serious, you know. <laughs> you didn't really lighten up. You were just very serious in your in your delivery. And that's my father too. That's his personality. But it was just interesting that she picked up on him picking at his fingers because that was a a body language thing that showed that he was a little anxious, you know, a little nervous. That's good. Look at number four. Uh, It would be valuable to mentally review previous conversations you've had with your care receiver before each caring visit. And this goes back to what I said earlier. It it would be good for you to jot down a few notes about things that stood out to you in the conversation so that you can bring it up the next time. Number five, active listening means carrying on a conversation while you are jogging or doing aerobics. (laughs) That's obvious. False. (laughs) A lot of these are obvious. Uh, number six, an open-ended question is one for which there is simply no answer. We know that one as well. Okay. Number seven, questions that begin with the word why can make people feel defensive. That's a good one. What, now, why do you think that is? <laughs> I think people are having to then defend their, mm-hmm. you know, whenever you put someone on the defense, that's I mean, not comfortable. Mm-hmm. People could assume that instead of just being curious or asking for more information, mm-hmm. you're actually challenging their mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. Being judgmental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're asking for a reason here, mm-hmm. a reason for your action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, they get defensive. Mm-hmm. They don't want to tell you. Right. Inside them to help them understand why they did what they did with questions like how or what, right? Yeah, you you you've chosen the gap right? They don't trust you anymore. They feel like you're criticizing them, and then they might not be able to say much. Mm-hmm. That's good. 
I think of parenting. I think if you're parenting a teen, I, I, I did this with my parents one time. They said, your curfew's at midnight. And I said, why? And they said, because that's a good time. My dad's always said, there's nothing good that happens after midnight. And then I'd say, well, why? And then he would say, because I said so. And then I'd say, well, why? <laughs> and I kept asking the question, why? And you could sense the frustration on their part. And I'm sure as parents, you, you all have related there. <laughs> because I said so. Not That's, that's my answer. <laughs> Look at number eight. When it comes to reflecting, a tape recorder or a parrot could do just as good as a job as a Stephen minister. <laughs> Waltz, right. We don't have to unpack that one. <laughs> number nine, when you do reflective listening, it's, it's a good practice to use a number of different lead-ins rather than always beginning with a statement such as, what I hear you saying is... Yeah, that would be true. And what I'd like to do is turn to page 48 real quick. And give you some examples of reflective responses. If you look at the bottom of page 47, I'm sorry, it's uh, reference box Q. Let me just read some of these reflecting responses. First one, it sounds to me as if you're wondering whether... Fill in the blank. Or it seems as if you're feeling... Or from what you're saying, I get the idea that... Or as I understand it, you're planning to... This is top of page 48. Let's see whether I have it right. You've decided to... Or if I understand what's going on, the situation is... Or even I think what you're telling me is... Or so it seems to you that... Because if you just get in a rut and you say, well, kind of like the question number not, what I hear you saying is, if you say that every single time, the person's going to think, okay, you're trying to be a counselor. You know, you're, you're trying to just unpack me and and I need to just have somebody to vent to you know you're trying to I don't know I don't know what they would be thinking but (laughs) it probably wouldn't be good Um, number 10 is reflecting spiritual concerns is a way to force people to admit that they need a savior that tends to be false Um, and the the reason I would say it kind of goes back to what Brent said earlier you don't want to force someone to talk about their spiritual uh, concerns because they may not trust you yet it's going to take some time to develop the trust. And occasionally we pair you up with a care receiver who may not even be a Christian. We pair you up with somebody who just started coming to the church, maybe even somebody who doesn't go here that has shown some interest in the church. And that has happened before. We have paired people up with either baby Christians, what I call them, or even non-Christians. And so often uh, they obviously know that you're a Christian because you're a part of Stephen ministry and you're a member of this church. But often it may take a few meetings to, to really get into the spiritual beliefs of the person. Um, and that's okay. But, but what we do encourage you is to pray with the person. And even at the first meeting, you ask the question, can I pray with you? Because you want Jesus to be, I mean, he's going to be there, uh, but you want them to know that he's there. Uh, and, and a way to do that is not only your presence, but also through your prayer. Um, so that would be something that I wouldn't force someone to talk about. Um, yeah. For example, on this questions that we just read, And this is really our last exercise, bottom page 53. And look at focus note 3. What we're going to do here is uh, keep with your group. And what I'd like to do, actually with the four four of you guys can just join up this time if that's okay. okay. And I need, for the guys group, I need two observers. For the ladies group, I need one speaker, one listener, and one observer. And you're going to actually rotate roles. So for the first person, go ahead right now with the four guys and three women. Uh, go ahead and pick your listener. Okay, I'm going to be a 
Okay, now pick your uh, speaker and pick your observer for the for the first time. We need a listener, speaker, and observer. So go ahead and pick one of the three. And then we'll need two observers for the men's group. Okay. You got it? Okay. All of us to do is finish the book, Christian Caregiving, A Way of Life. If you haven't already, chapters 14 through 20 is the recommended readings for this week, if you get a chance to do it. Have you all enjoyed this book? It's been helpful. Very practical, isn't it? He gives really practical advice, which is great. So go ahead and read that. And then also your pre-class reading for the next module, which is T4, Module 4, Distinctively Christian Caring, Part 1. So go ahead and read that pre-class reading. It's page 59, I believe. Or is there a pre-class reading? Yeah, there is. Actually, there's not a pre-class reading. Good. Y'all get a break. So the following week, you'll have a pre-class reading. So no pre-class reading next time. Excellent. Before you came in, various ones of us were talking about how we're going to be asking the next week, next week.